It's now time for Let's Talk with Smitty on WSBS and on the free WSBS app. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk with Smitty. Uh, we've got a great show today. It's a beautiful sunny day in the Berkshires, but it's uh, it's uh, a little chilly out there. Not not spring quite like yet. But we got a great show today and a, a, a great friend of mine who's also a state senator, candidate for lieutenant governor, Senator Eric Lesser from the great city of Longmeadow, where my mother grew up. So I just I didn't know if you knew that, Eric. But um, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, my mother grew All up right. in Longmeadow, went to Cathedral High School, and uh, we spent many, uh, many days and weekends down there with my grandparents uh, growing up when we were kids. But welcome aboard. I appreciate you taking the time to join us. Hey, thanks for having me, Smitty. Good morning. No, thank, thanks so much. And uh, we'll get right into it. I mean, I, tell, tell our listeners, I mean, you've been crisscrossing the state uh, like all these other candidates. It's kind of a crazy year this year. But tell our listeners a little bit about something about yourself and what drew you to public service? Yeah, well, Smitty, first, thanks for having me on. And, and like you, I'm a fellow 413-er, fellow Western <laughs> Mass person. Didn't know the Longmeadow tie, so we have we have that in common, which is very cool. But the first time I actually ever got involved in politics, uh, Longmeadow plays a role. I was a junior at Longmeadow High School, and the superintendent and principal at the time called us all into an auditorium at the school, lined a whole bunch of teachers up at the front of the room and told us that they weren't coming back the next year because of budget cuts that had been made in the building you and I work in. Uh, And I remember sitting there and feeling really angry Hmm. that a bunch of 14 and 15 and 16-year-olds were being asked to pay the price for bad decisions, frankly, that had been made in Boston. Uh, And so we went out we organized, we did a Prop 2.5 override campaign, which I'm sure many folks listening have, have been a part of over the years in their own communities. And I remember sitting in the town hall uh, the night of the vote, and when the vote passed, uh, one of the teachers was sitting next to me clutching a pink slip as the vote was counted. And she literally ripped the pink slip up and threw it in the trash uh, because the vote passing meant her job had been saved. So. It was just an early lesson for me that despite all the frustrations of politics, and there's a lot to get frustrated about in politics, it really is one of the most powerful ways to make a difference. And I think it's so important. I always tell young people that, you know, understand government at the local level. It's truly the purest form of democracy, as frustrating as government can be sometimes, but it's a pure form of democracy that you can really make a difference at that local level. So I admire you for, I admire anybody who wants to put their name on the ballot, which is always a, a challenging time because you put it right out there not only yourself as a candidate, but your family as well. So there's so many moving parts, uh, Senator, uh, with the, you know, the governor not running for re-election and the attorney general running for governor and the state auditor not running for re-election. Why did you choose to run for lieutenant governor? And what do you think is probably one of your greatest assets to be in that position? Yeah. Well, it's very, it's very simple, actually. I want to get rail service done, <laughs> which is something you and I uh, have, been, have been working on for a long time. We've got to get West East service done. For people you know, who have been following this or not following it, we're at a very critical juncture. Uh, the Biden infrastructure bill includes money that this project is eligible for. You know, Ultimately, we want to get Albany and Boston fully connected. We, of course, need to get Pittsfield, Springfield, Worcester, and the communities in between, of course, connected to Boston. Uh, and the missing piece right now is, frankly, a governor, a lieutenant governor, a State Department of Transportation that really moves this project and gets the money from the feds into the state and the shovels into the ground. Perhaps the best example of this working in previous 
eras was Tim Murray's championing of the Worcester Boston service back in 2009, 2010, when the Obama era stimulus brought record money to the state. There's now 14 trains a day going between Worcester and Boston. It's completely transformed all of Worcester County, really, as a result. Think about what that would mean for the Berkshires, for Hamden County, you know, for our hill towns, for our rural communities in Western Mass, our urban communities in Western Mass. We've got to get it done, um, and so that's a big part of why I'm running. Uh, and I think that the lieutenant governor is well situated. You're kind of in the engine room of state government, you know, when you're in, when you're an LG, kind of working with the different cabinet agencies, the local officials, the legislature, to kind of get these nuts and bolts issues moving. So that's what I'm really excited about. I think it's critically important. I mean, as you know, out in you know Berkshire and Franklin, we were the two counties that lost population, but I think this exactly. could be a, a transformative generational investment. So, and I've always believed that you know, live here, work there, and I think that can go west and east and east and West. So you could live in the Berkshires or in uh, Hamden County and work in Worcester or Boston. But I got to be able to get back and forth in a, in a quick time. So I think this is very important. I just want to pin, pinpoint one thing, though, for you. In your campaign information, you're still calling it East West. And I know I'm driving. <laughs> oh, I knew I, we, we needed to edit that in time for this radio show. <laughs> we got to re- rename that to West East. <laughs> I, re- I, I really think that West we, e- we should put a little uh, asterisk when we say it with uh, giving credit to, to Rep. Pignatelli for, <laughs> for reorienting the, the conception. But it's a, it is a serious point, which is the, the project is, is, is much for Western Mass. Certainly Western Mass is going to benefit, but it's really for the whole state. And it's changing the sort of default orientation people have that everything is Boston first. We, of course, know that that's not true. We need a mindset of the whole state working together, all of our regions investing uh, together, and, and that you and I are definitely on the same page yeah. on that. Well, well said. We're here with uh, uh, Senator Eric Lesser. He's a from Longmeadow out here in Western Mass. Um, I actually call it Central Mass, but um, it, we'll, 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 we'll call <laughs> it Western Mass Midwest. today. The Midwest. <laughs> um, he's a candidate for lieutenant governor. Beyond rail, uh, Senator, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges facing Western Massachusetts, um, and yeah. why is that voice from Western Mass in the corner office so important? Well, look, we know the Berkshires, Hamden County, Franklin County, Hampshire County, you know, are, are incredible places to live, incredible places to raise families, beautiful places, uh, you know, filled with a lot of natural assets. But we also know that it's getting harder and harder to live here. Uh, our economy has not kept pace, you know, with the job, with the red-hot growth you've seen, you know, just south of us in New York or, or to the east of us in the Boston area. And you know, a lot of our families have had to leave. Uh, so I think that the core of any strategy has got to be around economic development, job creation, and affordability for the families that have grown up here. Uh, and so one of, one of the things I'm very focused on, I know you and I have worked on this, Mitty, is, you know, vocational education and manufacturing. You know, historically, the Berkshires was a major manufacturing center, still is. You know, I think of Berkshire Sterile and Lee, you know, or Onyx Paper, or, of course, General Dynamics and Pittsfield. So we've got to make sure that, first, we keep those those local businesses, but that we also grow them. We've got to close the wait list at our Vogue schools. We've got to invest in the trades a lot more. We've got to bring more women and underrepresented groups and people of color into those into those pipelines. We've got to work to pull the life sciences industry further west, you know, especially mm-hmm. around things like biologics manufacturing and medical devices. So, you know, those are those are just some of the things. And then 
we've got to do a lot around housing. It's getting harder and harder for people to afford rents. You know, the Berkshires in particular has seen, you know, really like a, a challenge because you've seen the New York market put a lot of pressure. You know, second home buyers have driven up prices, which is making it harder and harder for people who grew up in the Berkshires to stay there or to afford a home. So we've got to do a lot more around housing production uh, and making sure that we're creating uh, housing that's affordable for people who are local uh, to stay here. So those are just a couple of the things. You know, of course, the, the cultural economy, the arts and culture is so important. But, you know, I also do think that, you know, we've got to do more around the manufacturing. And I know you and I have talked about this a lot, but that's a real game changer for us. Those jobs, you know, a 10 or 12 week training program as a precision machinist, as a tool and die maker, you know, can spin you out into a sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollar a year job, you know, within a year or two. And those are really, really high quality jobs that allow you to buy a home, you know, raise your family, save for retirement. So that that's gonna be a big part of my focus. I, I think that's very important. I'm glad you touched on that and housing and the jobs because, you know, in the Berkshires, everywhere I go in my district, and I'm sure it's the same in your district there's help wanted signs everywhere, you know, whether it be at uh, McDonald's or local Marshalls or a longtime, uh, you know, plumbing and heating uh, company. Um, we talk about the open jobs, but I think we need to spend more time on career paths. I think you know, my right. brother, my brother's an electrician and doing very well. Um, you know, the trades are very important. And believe me, my brother's probably listening right now, and he's going to be <laughs> mad when I say this, but he's making more money than me as a state representative. So those are good career paths that I think we need to focus in on. But the housing is the big, the big hurdle. I don't think we spend enough time in state government talking about home ownership. And I think, uh, right. you know, rents are out of the world, you know, all throughout Massachusetts. And like you said, the, the market during COVID has gone crazy here in the Berkshires. But we don't spend enough time on providing people with an opportunity to own a home, build wealth, develop equity, and, uh, and then find that career path to call the Berkshires or Western Mass uh, their home. So what can we do to address the housing beyond rentals, but home ownership opportunities? Yeah, well, of course, all these issues are connected to each other, right? Mm. And, you know, my kind of view on this is Massachusetts, we're going to be a victim of our own success if we don't get this under control, because part of the reason housing prices are going up is because a lot of people want to live in Massachusetts because we've got, you know, incredible assets here. So shame on us if we don't do what we need to do to keep the affordability going. So the first thing is acknowledging that actually transportation and housing are, are inextricably linked, right? So take the rail project, for example. It would unlock thousands and thousands of units of new housing all up and down the link, close to transit that's walkable, that can connect somebody living in the Berkshires to a job in another region or vice versa, right? So we've got to think about these things as interconnected, improving um, the sort of north-south connectivity into New York City, so important, and then making sure that we've got more transit-oriented development, more housing units being constructed around that. And then we've got to do a lot more uh, to, to basically spur sustainable, you know, um, appropriate construction of new housing uh, and to refurbish a lot of abandoned or underutilized spaces we've got. I mean, you and I have both been champions, for example, of the HDIP program. Mm. And you think about in Pittsfield, the the potential of taking all of these mill buildings, all of these underutilized spaces, 
hiring tradespeople, electricians, everyone else, you know, to refurbish them, fix them up, and then turn them into, you know, really good, high-quality housing for, for local people. It's a win-win-win for everyone. It creates jobs in the short term. It creates housing in the long term. It spurs development downtown. You think about North Adams, what HDIP could mean for downtown North Adams, what it can mean for Pittsfield, what it can mean for Greenfield, you know, further east uh, into, into Franklin County. So, uh, you know, I think we've got to do a lot more around housing development, a lot more about around transportation linkages. And then we do need more support for the RAFT program. I know we have a supplemental budget coming up. The Senate's doing next week. I think the House already did it. But we've got to get um, a lot more money out the door in rental assistance to families in the short term. Mm. That's a short term stopgap until we get more of this production built out. Right. We're here with uh, Eric Lesser, a state senator from Longmeadow here in western Massachusetts and is a candidate for lieutenant governor. Uh, as you've been crisscrossing the state and you know I follow you guys on social media, I mean, it's, it's, you know, <laughs> I always say you know, Massachusetts on, uh, on looking at the map doesn't look like that big of a state until you start driving from one end to the other, but are there any common themes or concerns that people have from the Berkshires to Cape Cod that you're hearing along the path? Oh, absolutely. And I've been at this point to every corner of the state multiple times and will continue to be in every corner of the state many times. But I would actually say there's a very consistent theme that comes up from the sort of densest urban communities to the most rural communities, even from the wealthier communities to the lower income communities and everything in between. Uh, People are proud of Massachusetts. Um, You know, I think we're proud of the leadership our state has shown. We're proud of the center we've become for innovation, for high tech, for health care. But it's just getting very, very hard to live here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the prices of everything are skyrocketing. Housing, we touched upon. Our transportation system is outdated. People are battling soul-crushing traffic. You know, even in the Boston area, the T is not keeping pace with with how people need to move around and get around in our neck of the woods there's basically no public transportation at all uh and so we've got to do more around quality of life infrastructure housing the things that keep people up at night paying for their health care bills paying their rent and mortgage uh getting ahead of just the just the, the the sort of tension that's built up in a in a state that really does have a lot to offer and is booming in many respects but is falling behind on those sort of core you know what i call like the beams and timbers of life the transportation the healthcare system the housing so uh, that's really been a consistent theme everywhere i go and you know frankly smitty as you know that stuff doesn't get a lot of tweets it's not going to get the most mm, likes or shares right. on facebook <laughs> but you know i do i do feel very confident you know, in my campaign, that's what I'm going to be zeroing in on. Uh, we're in a time of really intense change in our society. Uh, I think people need and want and expect state government to be delivering on the core things that their families need, housing, good transportation, affordable health care, uh, you know, and good, and good high-paying jobs that are going to sustain you know, a good quality of life. So that's definitely been the consistent message. Yeah, well said. Um, you know, the COVID the last couple of years, and, you know, I think I, I like to call it a, uh, uh, it's not a pandemic any longer. Hopefully it's an endemic, but it meaning it's not going to go away. It's still going to be there, but it exposed a lot of things. We've touched on housing, but as you know, food insecurity is an issue. Mental health 
is an issue, yeah. workforce development. How do we address, now you've been a real champion of the, you know, trying to tackle the opioid situation. How are we going to deal with the mental health aspect as well? Because with every challenge that you and I face as legislators, I always believe there's opportunities. We're in that phase right now where the challenges we've had over the last couple of years provide us great opportunities. How can we try to tackle the mental health and food insecurity and the opioid epidemic all along the same path? Yeah. <laughs> nice light questions to start the morning. I <laughs> <There you go. laughs> uh, thought we were going to talk about spring training and the red now. Uh, so, um, so uh, yeah, just a couple. So let's start with mental health. So I'm really glad you brought that up, Smitty. You know, you've done a lot on this. So, you know, first we need to acknowledge that we are in a, you know, not to overstate it, but we are in a generation-defining challenge around mental health. The pandemic shredded a lot of people's um, lives, to put it, you know, to put it bluntly, and especially our young people and our teenagers. I'm sure you're hearing it. The single most common thing I'm hearing from schools, from teachers, from principals, from superintendents, from parents, is the mental health challenges. Just an example, I do an essay contest. I'm sure you do something like this, but I do an essay contest every year for my district. We send a, you know, a notice out to all of the high schools, and uh, students can submit a, you know, a 500-word or so essay on whatever kind of public topic they choose, and then we do a little awards program and, and, uh, and, and try to recognize and lift up the submissions. When I did it last year, I think almost every single essay was on mental health in the schools mm. and the challenges that, that young people were under from the pandemic, the remote schooling, the disruptions to their lives. I know Berkshire Health Systems has had this challenge. Bay State and my hospitals in the Springfield area have shared this. We have a crisis of bed space for people with you know acute behavioral health issues. So you go to any hospital in Massachusetts now and you have young people, what many of them, mostly children, in gurneys in the hallway of emergency rooms because there's no beds for uh, kids to get sent to uh, when they're when they're in distress or having a, a behavioral health, a health crisis. I mean, this is not something we would accept, you know, in another country if we saw this on the news, let alone in our own state. So we need to do dramatically more around mental health. We need to hire a lot more social and emotional and uh, guidance and um, and uh, mental health professionals for our schools. We need to um, make sure there's parity in our insurance coverage between physical health care and mental health care, especially with mass health. And we need to do a lot more around licensing and reimbursements for mental health professionals. My mom is a clinical social worker, so I see this um, in, in, a, in an intimate way. My sister is a clinical psychologist. My mother-in-law is a psychologist. Nice Jewish family. Wow. Everybody's in, uh, <laughs> in health care. So... Uh, but, uh, but um, you know, what, what their feedback is, is, you know, the reimbursement rates are not there. Um, there's critical shortages in the workforce as a result. So we've got to make sure we're doing more around reimbursement rates, paying the providers appropriately so that we're bringing more people in and we're getting more people treated. You know, on, on opioids, there needs to be an acknowledgement that the opioid crisis is actually, not only is it not over, it's accelerating um, it's ex- especially accelerating in communities of color, our gateway cities. The Hispanic and black communities have seen escalating rates of overdose deaths. Fentanyl um, is continuing to rear its, its vicious head, and it's creating um, more and more problems. So we need to do dramatically more around Narcan expansion. We do need to do more 
uh, around coordination with law enforcement, around stopping the flow of these drugs. And I know you and I, I'm plugging our bill, we need to reorient our healthcare system to move away from opioids as a form of pain management and we need to invest in and support alternatives like acupuncture, yes. which you and I have worked on. Yeah. Uh, I view that as a really important strategy to move us away from opioids and to help solve uh, the, the opioid crisis. So, yeah. you know, there's a lot, lot, lot going on. And um, but, but you're right, they are opportunities because the thing I'm excited about is we're a state with, with, that does have resources. We have immense personnel resources, very talented people. We've got very talented and you know, nationally, globally recognized institutions, and and we've got um, we've got resources in terms of money and funding that can get deployed to help solve these challenges. Yeah, very well said. I I always believe the opioid prescription should be the last prescription, not the first. But we in in our last couple of minutes here, Senator. Um, one thing I've asked every candidate that's been on our show so far: if you could give your uh, one piece of advice to your younger self, what would it be? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> um, you know, maybe to slow down a little bit, <laughs> you know, and just appreciate things and enjoy, you know, uh, you know, it's just, um, it's a cool, you know, I've got three little kids. You and I have talked about, you know, raising kids in politics and everything. I've got an eight-year-old, a five-year-old, and my youngest is about to turn one uh, next month. So, you know, the, I'm really happiest when I'm with them and I'm just able to kind of enjoy and, and spend time with my family. So, you know, for better or worse, you know, campaigning for statewide office sometimes makes that hard. But um, you know, that that's definitely what I would uh, what I would encourage. You know, my younger self and my I guess my current self to to keep in mind. Oh, good. And then and then you know, folks who are listening um, who want to learn more about uh, Eric Lesser, candidate for lieutenant governor, or more about your positions, so what's the best way to do that? Yeah, so people can give me a call four one three five two six six five zero one. They can check out my website. Uh, the campaign website is ericluster.com. People can find out more. They can join our mailing list. They can make a contribution if they're interested in that. Uh, and um, and then the Senate side with all of our bills and legislative agenda is senatorlesser.com. Uh, you can also check me out on Twitter, at Eric Lesser, Instagram, at Eric Lesser. And also on Facebook, uh, which is Eric Lesser MA on Facebook. It's it's a long campaign season, and I I, I wish you all the best. I, I, I got to tell you've heard me tell the story about you before, and I, I want to tell our listeners. But as you know, my sister worked in the Obama White House for for several years, along along as long with you, um, and we had the opportunity to meet with the. Uh, President Obama in the Oval Office at the White House, just the five of us, my siblings, and uh, I introduced myself, and he looked at my lapel pin, and he says, what's this for? I says, well, I work in the state legislature in Massachusetts. He says, good for you. That's where I got my start uh, in Illinois. How's my friend Eric Lesser doing? Without hesitation, he <laughs> asked about you, and I. Uh, and then we were standing at the Resolute desk, and I mentioned about uh, Governor Patrick being my constituent here in the Berkshires, and he says, oh, that's great. Tell my sort of low, but give my best to Eric Lesser. So you're clearly a common name with the Obama family, so I just want to pass it on to you. But, uh, Eric, I, I appreciate you taking the time to join us, and I wish you all the best along the campaign trail, and I'm sure we'll be seeing each other uh, in our own travels uh, politically. So uh, keep up the good work, and uh, let's keep in touch. Hey, thanks, Smitty. Thanks for having me. All right. Have a great day. Okay, bye-bye. And, and thank you, Jesse, for pushing all the right buttons, keeping us on the air. We'll be back next week with another great show. Until then, be well, be safe, have fun, be happy. Let's all take care of one another. Let's all be virtual.